Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Forktails a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Ellis Wynn Stanley. Uh, he has a number of companies uh, from Axial Shift to El Arroyo to Texas Ranch Experience. Um, we're going to cover all of those, or at least try to in a, in a normal amount of time. Uh, but before that, Ellis, say hello and give a little bit of backstory. Hi, everyone. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks, so Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we're, we're based in Austin, Texas, and, and we're co-located uh, to Santa Teresa, Costa Rica. We've got uh, started the restaurant business years years ago, and then uh, ended up in multiple industries along the way, including real estate development and and restaurant software. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to unpack in this episode. I forgot to mention that you recently became a board member at the Texas Restaurant Association as well. So maybe the first big question is, how do you have the time to do all of this effectively? Uh, well. We- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've got so we've got a lot of very long-term uh, folks on our team that that are yeah we we run our company very entrepreneurially. The people that that run certain elements have a lot of room to move and and uh, a lot of freedom to grow their their areas of, of responsibility and and people really like that. So we're able to we're able to assemble great people and keep them working with us for a long time. And and I'm able to work on creating creating opportunities, connecting the dots. Um, the stuff that I, that I enjoy the most. Awesome. Let's, all right. So I was originally going to start with axial shift, but I think maybe a better place to start is El Arroyo because that was kind of the epicenter, right? That's, that's the the beginning of everything. No, actually. So El Arroyo, we, we acquired in 2012, um, started okay. in 2001 with a little 24 hour, uh, punk rock diner called star seeds cafe on the East side of, uh, on the East side of UT campus. So that's I amazing. That, uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year at UT, um, it was a really, really distressed, uh, but super cool business. Needed a lot of, a lot of operational love, a lot of cleanup. Well, and that one stands out a lot. I mean, so the UT thing makes a lot of sense, but um, if I can be so bold, like the identity for El Arroyo is not one that designers would exalt as like best in class. I mean, it's using, I think, paintbrush script, um, for all intents and purposes, it's low fi. Uh, but then you also employed, uh, what would probably seem silly about, you know, before this moment, but it's actually quite brilliant is you have this old score clapboard board sign. Um, I believe that's what it's called, right? A clapboard sign. Uh, where you have like the little letters that you place in there and this has become iconic, um, absolutely iconic. And probably one of the things that really makes El Arroyo unique and on those signs, you put really fun one-liners. One of my favorites is my, my idea of essential oils is what comes out of a taco. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, it's fun, it's brilliant. And how has this seemingly baseline marketing stunt helped fuel the brand forward? Yeah, so um, it's super connected, right? So it's, I think it's what's interesting about it is a lot of focus goes to like the physical delivery mechanism, 
but really what makes it work is the voice. And so when we bought it in 2012, the sign had been out there since 1987, but it had a very um, different and I'd say somewhat inconsistent voice. It was always funny. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it'd be funny at the expense of other people or it'd be funny in kind of a gross way or, you know, it had a, it had a very different um a very different attitude about it. And and when we got involved, uh, we, we decided that we wanted to build a voice that was connective and really authentic and, and would resonate with what people were dealing with in their day-to-day lives. And they would also, um, you know, employ current events, which they, they did a great job of employing focus on current events before as well. Um, and so, yeah, we set to work building a voice, some voice guidelines. And then we went from, you know, essentially 3000 Facebook followers, uh, to to what it is today, which is close to a million between the, the primary channels. Um, and, and it really just gave us an opportunity to connect with people on a daily basis and, and make them feel better. And the coolest, I think the coolest part about it for me is when we get an email that says, hey, I was going through a really rough time in my life. And I just wanted you to know that reading the sign every morning made me, you know, put me in a good mood, made me, made me at least be able to forget about for a minute what I was going through. So that's awesome. That's an amazing one. And that sign, I mean, when I say it's iconic, uh, I mean, it is a part of the community. I mean, that's probably one of the many reasons why I recall as an example of how iconic this thing is for, for those listening, I recall an anecdote that we had over dinner. Um, gosh, it was a couple of years ago at this point, if you believe that, um, about an April fool's day prank. Do you, do you remember? Wait, oh, yeah. you, could you, could you share with the listeners? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we, um, so our team came up with, they wanted to do El Arroyo uh, Yeti tumblers. And so, and so that, that product idea had kind of been swirling around for a while. And then somebody on our team had the idea to steal the sign for April Fools. And so we, we put together this elaborate uh, prank with Yeti. And, and we decided to combine the two efforts to announce the, the Yeti tumbler launch. And so essentially we went in the middle of the night and we used a drone <clears throat> to position it around the building as like security cameras. We overlaid security camera letters on it. You know, and, and then we, uh, we had a guy bring a grinder. We, we took the sign apart and we ground on some of the metal. So it'd throw sparks and it looked like a real, a real big, th- you know, heist. And uh, anyway, we took it four in the morning, we drove it to the Yeti store and then we hit it there. And then the next day, everybody, you know, people started asking where it was. And we, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't tell. We just, we don't know where it is, you know, it's gone. And anyway, local news stories were writing articles about it. And, and, and then we got the governor's office to do like a fake announcement that the uh, DPS was being deployed to, fought, to find it. And eventually we announced that it was that it was at the Yeti store. And that's where we announced the, the Yeti Tumblr giveaways. And so we gave away a couple hundred of those with margarita tokens. And then ultimately it became a very high moving uh, product for us as well. It was super, it was super fun. It. it was a super great product launch. And uh yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very much along the lines of, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Holiday. He wrote the book, uh, a semi-autobiographical book called um, Trust Me, I'm Lying, where he talks about his purposefully sca- um, fabricated scandals. For instance, uh, the scandal, the scandals around American apparel and how those scandals, like th- those were all fabricated, at, le- at least originally. I think they actually became real uh, later on. But for all intents and purposes, it was... Um, 
purposeful scandal to generate outrage because that outrage actually became a driver of business. In this case, it's sort of similar, but uh, not not maybe as perverse as, as that particular um, use case. It's a great book, by the way, if anyone is interested. Um, it's Ryan Holiday, and it's called Trust Me, I'm Lying. But it's very much the same idea. It's like you, you fabricated this scandal. Somebody stole the beloved sign, and it's great that you were able to foster uh, some people from the, the local uh, government to get behind it as well, all, all in good fun, of course. Um, so I think, you know, things like that mixed with so- solid operations have really helped El Royal grow a lot. Um, and I think those solid operations, if if I'm not mistaken, actually spawned the idea of axial shift. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So, so we had, exactly. So we, we, you know, in search of like a lot of operators are, we were in search of of better, simpler ways to do things. We realized, we, we kind of looked up in 2014 and realized that data was everywhere at this point. We had like seven pieces of software. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to train our operators to use the software. Sometimes as much time as we did training them to run service, which which felt pretty conflicted. Um, and and so we, we decided that if we could take that data, when at the same time we realized our operators and our employees had really no visibility into what was going on and what their contributions were. And as people started to yearn for more purpose and more experience in their day-to-day work, we just couldn't give it to them. We weren't in a position. I mean, so we, we started doing some automations with spreadsheets and then I thought, well, let's just get the data we do have off the point of sale system and let's share it and see what happens. And it worked. Um, it was just a tremendous amount of effort. So, so we had a, a young manager who was really, interested in computers and, and at least in, in spreadsheets and systems. And we worked with him to develop some of these things. And, and he was kind of on the ground implementing as I was building these spreadsheets and, and, uh, and, it, and it worked, we got great results. The problem was it just was so much effort. It was, he was having to work an unreasonable number of hours. And, uh, and it, the more we simplified it, the more it lost some of its potency. And, and we really were having trouble getting it implemented across multiple brands. It was just, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the idea of showing people where they ranked relative to their peers all the time and opportunities, other people were having a lot of success selling one, one thing or a group of items that if they could model that, they could have the same level of success in sales or tips. Um, it worked. We were able to really move the needle. Um, and, and so we decided that we wanted to see it implemented in software. Um, we'd been in enterprise software since 05. I, I bought a branded products company out of bankruptcy. Uh, it was actually my t-shirt company. I went to pick up the t-shirts one day and the guy said, it's doing great. Just buy it. Um, <laughs> turned out it had a lot of issues, and, yeah. but it led us into the software business. So we had a software background. We knew it was possible. Uh, we really wanted somebody else to build it. And so we offered ourselves as the the testing, the sacrificial testing lamb, you know, for somebody else, if they would just take our ideas and implement it, they could test it on us or whatever. And, uh, no, no, to no avail. And so we ended up building it ourselves. And, and really it's, it's, it's just incredible. Like if you just share data with people in like a form that they don't think it, it's not data per se, it's just, it's feedback loop and it's, and it's opportunities. And it was, it was really a pretty fun exercise. Um, as, as we, as we built out the product to see the change it could affect on people. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, let's, let's dig into it a little bit more. Um, I think, I think what makes a great leader for restaurant tech is the experience that you had in operations and ownership. So it's great that you were able to apply that and bring in the learnings from the folks that you've hired and how strong they are. Um, 
when you implemented Axial Shift, what are some of the key features you think that are truly helping restaurant leaders change the nature of their business? Because that's really what it's all about is, um, I believe when you first introduced it to me, it was all about getting the manager out of that cubby hole of an office that is usually in the back of every restaurant. Um, so what are some of the major things that you think Axial Shift is tackling uh, as far as challenges to those leaders? Sure. So the, the there's some fundamental shift that happens in not only perspective, but in in time allocation, once it's, it's implemented. So the things we do tactically are, yes, get the managers out of the office, really by putting just a lot of the basic functions that they do, whether it's, you know, employee and vendor phone directories to shift notes to to looking at their team sheet to approving punch requests and time off requests. All that stuff is in you know, one app right on their phone. Um, for the employees, it's feeding them back sales performance data. You know, here's where they rank relative to their peers in, in total sales, sales per hour, credit card tip percentage, check average, you know, key metrics. Um, and, it, and it's it positions the data so they can see their own personal growth relative to the team. And one of the really interesting things we learned along the way is it's not whether the data is delivered or not. It's, it's a lot of times how it's delivered. And so delivering it so that it works for multiple learning types and that it's approachable and that it, it drives people to want to perform at a higher level is really kind of some of the, the magic um, along the way that we learn through, through just, tons and tons of iterating. Um, and, and for the managers as well, you know, there's a huge opportunity to really invest in these people's knowledge. And that just gets overlooked a lot of the time because restaurant organizations are really flat. Mm -hmm. You've got like a 20 to one ratio a lot of times for employees to managers. And then, and then even above the store, the organizations are normally pretty flat. So there's not a lot of time that, that the people have to really develop the people under them. So, um, sharing information, like their sales, their lost sales, their labor and their purchases are really the four key areas a manager can affect. And once we realize that just distilling it down to those four key things and sharing that information at really high frequency inside of a month or two, the managers are far, far more capable, um, than when they started just simply from being exposed to the feedback. I love that. Yeah. And, and so this is, uh, for, for those listening who aren't familiar, um, the system runs, it, it connects to the POS system. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming you've integrated with some, but not, not all POS systems. I think that's part of your uh, development roadmap, right? Right. Right. There's 10 or there's about 10 or 12 now. Great. And then, um, this goes onto handhelds, so uh, phones. So is this something that you have employees install on their phone? Do all employees have it, or are they more connected via a tablet that is owned by the uh, restaurant? Yeah, so everybody can install the mobile app. It's, we don't charge for it. The app's free. The, the, the store would subscribe to the service, and then the employees can use the mobile app. Um, and again, we don't charge them for the app. But yes, that, that's the main source of feedback. We do have, if they want to use our time and attendance, we, we built a scheduler into it. Mm. Not, not because we thought the restaurant world needed another scheduler. There's, there's a lot of them. Um, but because it gave us more points of contact with the employees. And every point of contact was an opportunity to, to reduce turnover and to drive sales. So, um, and so again, if they do use our time and attendance, we do have an Android punch clock they can use if they choose to do that. That gives a lot of extra features that, for instance, if the employees uh, 
didn't clock in when they got there. Say a server walks in at, to the kitchen at 1 p.m. and says on a Saturday and says, hey, I forgot to clock in and the manager's in there taking care of something. He's He or she is probably not going to remember to edit that punch. Mm. And then that paycheck may or may not come out incorrect. And that employee is going to feel if it comes out incorrect, like I told the manager, they don't care about me. It, it creates it creates points of friction yeah. that are very avoidable, right? So one of the things we did was create the scheduling module because that gave us more points of contact to feedback information that we created our own punch clock because it allowed us to have the employees send punch requests directly to the managers and then the managers can just approve or deny them, you know, when they get that push notification or, or later. And in that little thing, reduced turnover and re- each, each of those elements reduce turnover, right? Just it's it, every point of friction you can eliminate is some, another reason that somebody's not going to leave the organization. So how does that stack up against like uh, one of the market leaders, which is seven shifts? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other features to Axial Shift, but like that that scheduler, is there could could restaurants use it in conjunction with or? Oh yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So so sorry to interrupt you, but uh, yeah, Axial's uh, it, you don't have to replace anything. It can run alongside everything. What we find over time is is people will end up. Yes, there's a couple levels of it. The first level is like a simple install, pulls all the data, starts sharing it. You don't have to change anything operationally. And, and our goal as we, so, so our, I'm sorry, I'll go back. The second, the second step is more, you want to implement the schedule or do you want to impl- implement the punch clock? But even if they do use the schedule, they don't have to use the punch clock. It's super flexible. And so what we suggest to people is install it, let it start contributing. And then as you're ready, just fold more and more stuff into it. Um, our first install took three days and I said, I'm like never going to do that again. <laughs> and so about a hundred iterations later, we got it to about a five minute install where it, oh, wow. the operators really don't need to do anything. It self sets up, it finds the files automatically, pulls them in, sets itself up and then just starts sharing. That's pretty fantastic. Um, and so what's great about Axial Shift is it seems like there's so many benefits for the, the team member um, that results in higher retention and you know, you've been working on this for a little while. Little, I think little did you know that we would have such a problem with um, human resources, for lack of a, a better term, like, you know, team management and everything. Um, but that seems to be sort of like one thing that you are very focused on, even even down to uh, embarking on this Costa Rica outpost. Um, can you just explain the whole scenario, the idea behind it, and, and you know, what kind of um, effects you think that's going to have on the businesses? Sure. Yeah. So, so we are, we're, we're entirely focused on the employee experience. We think that's everything, you know, in along the kind of inspiration points would be like the Southwest airlines focus on your employees. They'll focus on your customers or the, or the, uh, uh, uh virgin strategy of train your employees well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough. They don't want to, or in the case of more specifically, like the Patagonia approach of let my people go surfing. Right. And so that those have always been kind of inspiration points. And, and I think we've had, a lot of success building our teams because people have a lot of freedom to, to live while they're, while they're alive. Um, and they've got a, a lot of, a lot of insight for how they're contributing. Um, Costa Rica was really, we, we like, um, the idea of the, of the Latin American culture and that the, the, the approach of relationships are really important. Uh, we think that's a good influence. And so we, we decided for cultural reasons to look, for a second location, start hiring some folks in Latin America. And 
I think Costa Rica is a natural choice. It's it's safe. It, it is the most expensive in Latin America, but it's safe. They've got good medical systems. They've got it's politically stable, yeah, and and people are very. Um, they're just very they're very open and and welcoming and 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 it's a good it's just a good culture overall. So anyway, we decided to start hiring down there. Um, part of our strategy was to open a, a beachfront office where our employees could go work remotely if they wanted. So our Costa Rican employees work remotely. A lot of our U.S. employees work remotely, but they can all work together at the beachfront um, office. And so we selected Santa Teresa, Costa Rica, and essentially we're co-locating the companies between between Austin, Texas and Santa Teresa. I love that. Um, you probably didn't think about this, but there, there may be a high rate of sand in the keyboards yeah. uh, of the computers. So you're going to have to have a budget for hardware replacement. Um, <laughs> but sure. yeah, it, it definitely sounds, so. that uh, means we're getting our value out of it. That's right. Yeah. People are actually getting work done there, which is great. Um, I, I love that thinking. And so let's, let's uh, shift over to something that, um, I, I was really still am really excited about, and it really doesn't have to do with El Arroyo or Axial Shift in the restaurant sense, but this Texas ranch experience. Um, I think once again, you're putting humanity above and beyond, or at least at the epicenter of the business strategy, which I'm just absolutely love. And so this one has amazed me. I w- I'm really intrigued by it. Could you explain what the Texas ranch experience is all about? Sure. So, um, it's, so it's, we're basically, essentially we're developing Texas ranches, but with a, with a focus on restoring natural habitat and resurfacing live water that's gone underground. Um, and, and the team for that. So we have, uh, I have a a brother-in-law that when we were 28 decided he was going to stop working and lobbying and go be a green beret. And he did that for 10, 12 years. Um, and is and is now, uh, you know, had had the idea of, of ranch development. We we also really like that idea, and so we're basically doing it with a focus towards helping um, guys, guys like him uh, learn that business, learn that ra- developing ranches, and and em- employ that. And it's got a very family focus as as well. So we're trying to find find and really educate people, find ranches that, that suit themselves to this, and really educate people as to how those kind of connections can be made out on the land and all the activities there are to do and, and kind of recenter around, around relationships again. So we, we think we kind of see a, a push. And I think what you saw in COVID was really with, with the great resignation and, and people having, you know, having a lot of pushback to going back in the office. I think a lot of that is just there, there's, we've got this drive towards a more transactional. There's a lot of transactional type influences, mm-hmm. right. And versus relationship driven. Um, and that's clearly not everybody, but I, I just think there's a lot of pressure on people for things over relationships. And so we're, we're focused on, um, driving the relationship side of that. We think that's, that that's a ultimately very impactful life experience for people. And I'm just excited to share that. We think there's a lot there that can be done. So, so, so the, the, uh, TRE, I'm just going to use that cause it sounds cooler. It sounds like I'm more in the know. Um, so with TRE, I mean, there, there's a sort of like rehabilitation element to it, or is it strictly just, Hey, you're now post deployment. Um, you know, you've done your tour of duty and you're looking for something new and we want to educate you on, on this in particular thing, or is it both? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think, uh, I'm assuming there'd be some rehabilitative um, 
elements just from being in a in a, in a natural place where there's a, a clear opportunity to make a big contribution. I think for a lot of the guys getting out of the service, it's really hard to figure out where they're going to fit um, in in civilian life. And there's there's a, a a real clear opportunity here to make a significant contribution. I love that. That's amazing. Um, so heading back to El Arroyo, so we're, we're, we're driving all over the place here. Um, what is, what's your current footprint? How many units is that right now? So there's a, there's corporate stores, we licensee, and then there's another one under development in New Braunfels. So El Arroyo was kind of interesting project. We bought it with a mind to, and it had some challenges when we bought it, was going to, going to rehabilitate it and then go start growing it. And then pretty quickly, we started to see, particularly in Austin, which is where we would start growing or around Austin, you know, uh, multiples of like four to six times net new restaurants mm-hmm. to the population growth. So the, the, the restaurants were number of restaurants on the ground per capita was growing at a much faster rate than the population growth, even though the city was growing fast. And that was causing a lot of a lot of change in the real estate market. At the same time, we realized an opportunity for the digital um, strategy to be developed. So we just said, yeah, we're going to just, we're going to wait on opening more restaurants and focus on growing the brand. Um, and then in 2017, we launched the first El Arroyo book, which is a book of the signs. And that turned out to be successful. It was, it was, um, actually nobody would publish it, believe it or not. We had publisher after publisher turn us down. And so yeah. we also realized that no printer would print it for a reasonable cost if you didn't have a publisher. Um, and so we ended up forming a publishing company to publish the book, right? So we called it Cosmo Publishing Company. We went and found a printer to print it and they sold out twice over the first Christmas. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so the last, we took the remaining books or my wife took the remaining books and put them in the trunk of her trunk of her car and drove around Houston, Dallas and San Antonio and just kind of hawked them to whoever, whatever retailer she thought she could get them to sell yeah. them. She said, look, whatever deal she had to make, like sell them. If you don't sell them, I'll come back and get them, pay me later. And then um, I was actually going to New York to see an Axial software customer. And she said, I found out who the Barnes and Noble buyer is, but he won't respond to us. So <laughs> can you try to try to see if you can get him this book? And so I put on gym shorts and a t-shirt and a backpack. And I went over to the Barnes and Noble offices and uh, I said, I've got a delivery for Mr. Eric Berger. And I, I didn't tell him I was a courier, but I, I didn't tell him I wasn't a courier. I just <laughs> <laughs> showed up wearing gym clothes. And uh, they said, okay, well, he's on this floor or whatever. And so I, I, uh, anyway, I went up and, and left the book and got a call about 30 minutes later. said, I don't know how you got this in my office, but we're sending you a purchase order. Uh, or a, I love uh, that. New vendor paperwork. So that was pretty fun, fun startup type experience, you know? Hell yeah, man! You got you, you really got to go where no one else is is boldly enough, bold enough to go, right? Uh, borderline Star Trek, but um, you know, and you you hear stories of this too. Like I think the latest one I heard is a, a designer or creative who basically put his resume inside of a box of donuts and delivered it to the office of the agency he wanted to work with. And um, it's it's that kind of thinking. I think that's what a lot brands need. That they need people who aren't going to just toe the line with what they have been told to do, but instead actually think and like come up with new ideas on how to get there. Um, and, and I think those who do that, I mean, it, it, the rewards are usually there. Like it, it usually is highly rewarding as a result. Um, 
So there, with Axial Shift, you're, you're currently in growth mode. You're, cor- you're currently um, adding more features, and, and you're looking to make a really strong push. Um, what's next for that for that uh, software and, and the service as a whole? What's on the horizon? Yes, we've added we've added a couple of teammates um, recently. The two of the co-founders of Hot Schedules came over to to join the team, and um, and that's been great to have those guys. We've been adding folks in Costa Rica and adding folks in the U.S. Uh, as far as the product goes, really, we're focused about on gamification. Mm-hmm. So sales, so sales challenges, um, and then a messaging platform that's similar to a Slack, which is you know obviously a lot of corporate uh, restaurant groups use that in the corporate office, but it never makes it way its way down to the in the units because it's just too hard to maintain with with people moving roles and coming in and out of the organization. So. It essentially dynamically sets up groups where you automatically can, you know, you can just message like every GM in the whole system yeah. or all the servers at this store and they'll automatically add and remove people based on, uh, you know, based on uh, what role they're in at the time. Um, the gamification is really cool. So you can say, you know, we're going to run a margarita contest and see who's, whoever sells the most um, gets, you know, a, a $50 micro bonus put on their paycheck. So it's kind of coupled with the micro bonusing. Yeah, um, we can also do personalized stuff. So what we're working on now is, you know, hey, hey Ellis, uh, when Joe works, he's getting queso on forty-two percent of his tables. When you work, you're getting it on nineteen percent. Offer queso to every table this week. If you sell twelve quesos a day, we're going to micro bonus you fifty. We're going to bonus you fifty bucks at the end of the week, or twenty bucks, or whatever it's going to be. So there's all these kind of personalized incentives to help people grow, and a lot of it is just relative to other people they're working with. And so part of it's kind of, do, is this possible? I know it's possible because he's doing it. Okay. Now what can, what behaviors can I model? Okay. Here's the model. And then what's the incentive. And then, and then a big part with the gamification too, is a lot of times sales contests fail because administering them manually is really challenging. So it gets done in a limited way. What, what happens when you only show the top two or three people is after about two weeks, everybody stops trying. Right. And then it's not in the top two or three people. And then if you show everybody publicly, the people at the bottom lose, uh, you know, lose motivation real quick. They're just embarrassed and they want to stop or they don't want to work. Right. Anymore. And then if you, uh, if you don't do it super consistently, right on the same rhythm where people can come to expect it, people stop paying attention to it. So there's sales contests really work, but only when they're executed in a, in a tight way. And when the information's presented where everybody sees an opportunity to grow. And so that's, that's what we do with, with Axial. And then we present data, you know, we present benchmarks, we present it graphically, we present raw data views. So we hit the major learning types um, so so everybody can process the data and then execute on it. So that's really what we're super excited about. Um, yeah. We see like a really big opportunity to give people more purpose and, and help them participate more in the value they're creating. And so, yeah. That's, that's pretty brilliant. Stuff. I love it, man. Thanks. Well, I'm excited to see that grow. I'm excited to see uh, El Royal continue its uh, cult-like dominance as well. Um, a lot of things to be excited about. So final question, maybe the hardest one. If you had one final meal on this earth, uh, where would you eat? What would you eat and why? If I had one final meal on this earth, I would eat the same. I would eat the thing that I eat all the time, which is a Cancun avocado at El Arroyo. And I, I know that's it. just, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not like self, I just, that's, that's my go-to, right? I, I eat there all the time and that's what I like to eat. I love it, man. That's awesome. Well, where can people connect with you, Ellis, uh, and, and the multitude of brands, um, you know, social websites, all that stuff. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, link for me personally, LinkedIn's, um, the best spot, love to connect. And, uh, uh, there's only two Ellis Win Stanley's running around that I know of one is a, as a 12 year old guy, kid in, in England. So, uh, and I'm not Austin, him, so <laughs> not him, not him. Uh, and then we've got, uh, uh, you know, and then we got social pages for all the brands. So yeah, follow, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn for, for text ranch experience and, and, uh, axial, of course, axial shift and yeah, love to connect. Awesome. We'll have all, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Uh, I do encourage people to, uh, definitely follow, especially Elliot oil, if not for any other reason, but the, the, the signs are just so much fun and they really do brighten your day. They, they get a smile. So big high fives to that Ellis. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing all the things that you're doing. It's a lot to be excited about. Thanks, sir. For sure. Absolutely. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.